Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. And on today's episode, we're going to be looking back at the history of Spaceship Earth. But before we get into that, let's touch on the Disney news of the week. So Disney announced over at Disneyland, Mickey's Toontown will be closing in March of 2022. And it will be closed for at least a year. It's not going to be reopening until 2023. So we already knew they were building their own version of Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, which will be opening in 2023. But now as part of this, we're going to be completely revitalizing Toontown. They're going to be adding a lot more green spaces and play areas for uh, children and family of all ages. They even mentioned it's going to be a great place for kids to play, but then also parents to relax. <laughs> so they're they're trying to you know, kind of tie all this in a great place to unwind there. I'm interested in seeing, you know, part of the concept art is they're going to add a big fountain, which they said is going to have a lot of interactive features. So I'm interested to see what they do with that fountain because I'm kind of picturing you know, like what they have in the queue for Haunted Mansion, how there's some of the things that you can touch and it, and you can interact with it. So I'm kind of imagining that, but with water. So I think it'll be really interesting to see. And I think it'll be really cool when they finish it. Totally. They also mentioned that they're adding a dreaming tree. And this is actually inspired by a tree that Walt would sit under and daydream in his childhood. And so they're going to be adding that in there. And that's going to have a lot of interactive and play features in it as well. So really just kind of tying things in but uh, overall yeah mickey's toontown will be closed for about a year um, in order for all this to take place wow i didn't hear i didn't hear about that dreaming tree that sounds really interesting and like i want to just go hang out there all day also this week a lot of press got to go to the galactic star cruiser and start to experience some of the play testing so there's some initial reactions it seems very positive which I don't think it's surprising from the press because I think Disney's trying to drum up interest in this. But one thing I, I thought was interesting is some articles came out that the you know quote unquote real lightsaber that Disney showed off earlier this year that got everybody super excited um, about actually going to the Galactic Star Cruiser because it's this retractable lightsaber. Basically, they said, you're never going to get to touch this. This is only for the actors uh, and the cast members at the Galactic Star Cruiser, the you know lightsaber you use for the lightsaber training is going to be uh, a higher quality lightsaber, but it's going to be a fixed blade. So you're really never going to be able to interact with this lightsaber, which is, I mean, probably somewhat expected, but also still somewhat disappointing because, yeah, it's going to be cool to see. But again, if you're paying five to $6,000, you would have at least liked to maybe got the chance to hold it and try it out mm -hmm. yourself. So I'm interested to see what people's reactions are of this, the first kind of paid group of people that go in and really experience this, because it's sold out for four months already, which I'm I'm somewhat surprised by that there's that many people willing to kind of pay for this sight unseen. Now, you know, a lot of the reporting out of it is that the, the um, immersion of it is kind of at all levels that basically every cast member has to remember your name, has to remember your allegiances, has to remember how you did earlier in the cruise versus later. They're talking about that's kind of the level of immersion that's going to be on, you know, a completely different level than what you're used to. It's not like, oh, you know, you go to a restaurant and they maybe remember your favorite drink. They're going to remember your name, your family, what you ordered last time. And that's going to be I think some insane dedication for the cast members to try to remember a few hundred people uh, every time. But I think pulling that off, that will be impressive, but it will be interesting to see if that can carry it enough for this price tag. 
I feel like this is going to be like Dr. Charts, though. You know, you have a magic band that you'll be, you're going to be wearing. And like, you know, whenever you go to a doctor's office, they put your chart in, in the door and the doctor can kind of look over that before they come in the room. They're going to have something similar with your magic band where they'll be able to go somewhere, read up. Oh, here's their name. This is what they got the last time. So I don't think it's going to be pure memorization, but still pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is because there's going to be spontaneous interactions. I think to your point, I was kind of thinking that as well. You know, some of it, they could keep track on your data pad or your Mm -hmm. magic band that it could maybe somehow alert them. You know, but I think a lot of it is going to be spontaneous and trying to remember, you know, how well you did at the ship training. So whenever you're under attack, you're going to get called upon from the captain because he remembered you did a good job. And he'll call on you by name, you know, something like that um, kind of adding to it. (laughs) So what are they going to do whenever you're just mediocre? at absolutely everything kind of like i would be they're gonna gonna yell angela just go stand over there and just look out the window hey hey you see that broom over there uh there's a there's been a spill can you clean that up please yeah that's it's like when it's under attack they're just gonna get you far away from the controls as humanly possible (laughs) and also today is beauty and the beast's 30th anniversary so it came out on november 22nd 1991 and it is november 22nd 2021. Wow. 30 years. It's hard to believe yeah. that 30 years ago is the 90s now and not like the 70s, like you would right. think, you know. But yeah, so yeah, Beauty and the Beast is, is 30 years old. This is the animated version because when I typed in uh, Beauty and the Beast in Google today just to see the you know actual date it was released, just to kind of confirm what day it was, the 2017 live action version is actually the first one that came up. Yeah. I had to go, no, I want the animated version. When did that one come out? So, But yeah, so 30 years to, uh, to Beauty and the Beast. One of the best movies of the Disney Renaissance. Yes. And we actually did uh, last year, we rewatched all the Disney Renaissance movies and we ranked them from 10 all the way up to one. Uh, so go check that out. It was actually a two-part episode. Uh, go check that out if you want to hear it. And also, I think I may have underranked the soundtrack on our soundtrack episode because going back and listening to it a few more times, I... I think it's up there with like probably in the top three. Well, you totally Disney. underranked Beauty and the Beast all in the of, rankings. Yeah, yeah, through, uh, all, throughout. All I think it's because I didn't have as much exposure to it, I think, as a kid, or I don't remember it. So I think that maybe, you know, it just doesn't have that nostalgia, but it's still an excellent movie. And before we move on to our main topic, we also got a listener question this week. So this comes from Grady C., who writes... Dear Angela and Joe, hey, I'm Grady, and I'm a huge fan of the podcast. Every Monday, I look forward to listening to a fun Disney topic. First of all, thank you. Yeah, for real. Sometimes I feel like we just talk to each other and nobody else hears us. So I know. It's odd to think other people listen to this, but here we go. (laughs) But here's the question. If one thing could be added to the 50th celebration and one thing taken away, what would they be and why? So, Angela, I will start with you. I think I'm going to start with what I would take away because I think this is easier. I I still think that, you know, enchantment is not up to snuff. I think that it's not as good as it needs to be for the Magic Kingdom because, I mean, the Magic Kingdom is the premier park of all of the parks. So I think that them incorporating Main Street in there, it needs to be more flawless. It needs to be more detailed. It just needs to be better um the soundtrack for it i wasn't as impressed with it as i wanted to be so i think i would take away enchantment 
And then I think I would add in happily ever after, but I do think that happily ever after could be improved. So I think that they could really just take it, expand it. I think that they could add a, again, Joe and I have talked about like a history portion to it, you know, talking about the Walt Disney company, because I think that history of the park is what they should be talking about since it's their 50th anniversary. So they could add a little piece into the beginning and, and weave it through and then also incorporate Main Street like they were to, like they like they were doing, but better. So I think that's probably what I would change right off the top. So, so Joe, you're, ba- you're basically what you're taking away and adding is essentially the same thing. It is you're because just, you're just adding back happily ever. After. I don't know. That's the thing about Disney is I feel like, you know, the imagination, sometimes they go over and above my imagination and what I'm able to like kind of conceptualize. Actually, more kites. That's the answer. More kites. You want more kites? More kites, kites more cattails. Yep. More, ki- more kite tails. I want more shows, more places. They need to add it in Epcot. They need more shows. They need to do Finding Nemo. A couple other ones. I want more kites. Just kites everywhere. Okay. Yep, yep. All right. My my one thing to take away, and I was kind of torn. I was originally leaning towards enchantment like you were, um, which would mean happily ever after would come back. But I think ultimately what I'm going to pick is harmonious because I think the barges, and we talked about this, while the show is good, I don't still think it's worth it for those barges, and it really destroys the sight line. I was looking at like some old pictures of Epcot, of the lagoon, and just how you had just those beautiful sight lines to see Spaceship Earth and kind of across to World Showcase. And I think adding that there during the day as just this stationary barge sitting out in the middle, I think really kind of ruins some of that beauty of World Showcase. So for me, I mean, Enchantment's a close second, but I think it's a good enough fireworks show that I would rather them take those barges away and do something different over at Epcot. Um, something that's you know maybe comes out as like a temporary float uh, kind of on the water versus something permanent like that. I think adding back, I think to your point, I definitely think they need some addition of the history and the celebration of the Magic Kingdom. Right. I would almost like to see a new parade, some sort of new parade that uses some you know new technology in the floats and maybe isn't just solely character-based, but celebrates the history of the park. So has older characters like maybe Mr. Toad or has some pirates on it for Pirates of the Caribbean or mm-hmm. you know maybe one with the hitchhiking ghost and obviously you know your princesses and you know your Disney characters but they have a lot of other characters even like the country bears that I think they have those characters already that they could build floats around and have a you know kind of brand new really modern parade that would like really get everybody excited and really celebrate the history of the park. Now, with that, I know they're not having parades at this point, but I don't think even you know as parades come back, I haven't necessarily heard that they're working on a new parade. But that, I think, for me, would be the one thing I would want to see added. So again, I want to thank Grady for their question. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on the show, head over to our website, enchantedears.com slash podcast question, and you can ask it there. So let's move on to our main topic, which... I think is the best icon at Walt Disney World, Spaceship Earth. (laughs) Spaceship Earth opened with Epcot on October 1st, 1982. So that was their opening day and it was ready. But actually, it took two years for them to build it. Yeah, I think I saw it was like 26 months in total um, to to build it, which again makes sense because it's huge. It's an engineering marvel because it is actually two spheres which you wouldn't know because unless you looked at old pictures of it but there's the ride sphere so the ride is contained within one sphere and then there's also the exterior sphere yeah and and kind of with that that is built into the design because when they built spaceship earth 
they didn't want the rainwater to pour off of the ball. And so they actually designed the cladding to have like, there's like one inch gaps uh, in between the panels so that when it rains, the water will go through the gaps and there's actually a gutter system underneath that exterior skin. No. Yeah. And so all no. that water, all that water gets channeled into World Showcase Lagoon. I never thought about that, but it's right. I didn't either. When it rains, no water comes off of it because it, no. it actually absorbs uh, all of the water. So that's... I think you're going to have to do the rest of the episode alone because my mind is now laying all over the room. It's exploded. Yeah. So, But, but you're right, though. I mean, it, it's an engineering marvel just in itself building a, a sphere like that because there's not many of them. But then the fact that, yeah, they kind of built you know the interior sphere for the ride and then this exterior skin... And built it so that, again, just the level of detail of thinking, well, we don't want people to get wet standing underneath this with rainwater pouring off of it is, is pretty amazing. Wow. Yeah, I never thought about that. Okay. So, yeah. So, it's a, it's a geodesic sphere, which is made of isosceles triangles. So, isosceles triangles, for all of you geometry buffs, I know there's a whole you know crew of you that listen. They have two equal sides. So, now I sound smart. And there are 60 of those, and then they're divided into 16 smaller equilateral triangles. So it is, I mean, when you think about it and when you look at the sphere, what makes it so interesting to look at is you have a big triangle, and then there are three smaller triangles within, like, or six smaller triangles within that. It's almost like a fractal. I mean, I don't know if it's technically a fractal or not, but, you know, kind of the fractal is as you, you know, expand or, or kind of zoom in on a design, the pattern keeps repeating itself. It's it's somewhat like that. I think yeah. that is why it's very pleasing it's, it's to look at. It's aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a lot of fun to look at. And it's actually, the design of it is based on the uh, U.S. pavilion from the 1967 International and Universal Exposition in Montreal, Canada. So it's the Montreal Biosphere. Uh, you can actually still go visit that today. There's a museum inside of it. It was designed and built, the one in Montreal, by Buckminster Fuller. That's a that's a name right there. Yeah, I had to look this up to see <laughs> if he was a real person. Uh, and it he kind of sounds like it's made up. Yeah, it? I thought it was. I thought it was like, was this a company? Like, it sounded more like a company name. And and if Buckminster Fuller or his family is still alive, we're not making fun of his name. That's just that is a that is that a name a cool right name. there. It was a cool name. Yeah. So he actually, I, I looked it up. He actually had a really difficult life. He served in the Navy in World War One. He had a lot of. Uh, trauma and death his daughter died very young from complications of polio and meningitis mm. uh, before her first fourth birthday he was alive in the you know early 1900s obviously with world war one so you know 1927 the great depression everything hit on tough economic times and everything he actually talks about this like transcendent experience that happened uh, in his life he talks about how he felt as though he was suspended several feet above the ground enclosed in this white sphere of light. And basically he heard this voice that told him, uh, you know, essentially like your life has purpose. And while you may not understand what you're doing has a purpose, just trust that if you just do your best, there will be an impact. And so after that, he kind of devoted his life to figuring out how a single individual could contribute to changing the world and benefiting humanity hmm. and then he went on to build all of these spheres and everything and kind of you know change architecture and stuff so a really interesting backstory that then yeah his design uh from the 1967 uh, expo up in canada is the inspiration uh, for spaceship earth and he actually coined the term 
uh, spaceship Earth as well. The interesting thing about his design, though, is if you look at the museum itself that still stands today, it isn't actually a full sphere. So whenever Disney developed it, they decided to, you know, raise it up and create a full sphere. Yeah. And actually, the museum, as well as it stands today, is just the uh, metal framing because whenever they were doing renovations in 1976, there actually was a transparent uh, acrylic that was on there, but it caught fire and burned away. Oh, wow. And then all that was left was the structure. Uh, and they had it closed, I think, for around like 20 years. So I guess they were able to restore the structure and make sure that the structure um, was good enough to stand. But yeah, now it's actually a museum. Look it up. It looks beautiful. It looks like right. what you would imagine Spaceship Earth would look like without that exterior skin on it. So yeah, um, but but yeah, pretty amazing. And yeah, how Disney took that uh, as inspiration. Yeah. And so, you know, kind of going back to the ride that the original plan for Spaceship Earth was that they were going to not have the whole ride inside the sphere. They wanted to kind of have a show building behind that. And then I think they probably realized that that would ruin the whole, you know, the aesthetics of everything. So they ended up using that Omnimover system that has basically is just a ramp, which this blew my mind when I was looking at pictures of it. I'm it, surprised but how this blew your mind because I, you've I written never, the ride. But. I never thought about how it just twists up and twists down whenever you're riding it. So whenever I actually saw them building it and I saw that basically it's kind of like an orange peel. Yeah, it just spins in on itself. Right, yeah. right. So that's how they fit it all inside that one building. But for, that to me was just mind-blowing. If you've never actually thought about it or seen the pictures, there are a couple pictures online of, of spaceship earth when they were building it yeah i'm actually impressed every time i ride it that they can fit that many scenes in it because mm -hmm. from outside it does not look like that sphere can hold everything inside the ride like to your point you know it it twists in on itself but it's it's pretty amazing when you think about like how much is in it and how efficiently they use that space to fit that entire ride in there like you, you do feel like some of this has to be outside of this, right? Like there right. has to be a point of it, but there's really not. But speaking of like that space and how much space it is, how big exactly is Spaceship Earth? So it weighs 16 million pounds, which I converted into elephants because this is the way my brain works. And that's 3,200 small elephants or... 1,454 large elephants. I like how the not only is it elephants, but then you do small versus large elephants. Well, so what's that like? Yeah, I think they medium weigh... medium elephants, is it like 2,700 medium elephants? <laughs> I think they weigh like five to 11,000 pounds. So, you know, 11,000 pounds would probably be a huge bull. And, uh, you know, 5,000 pounder might even be like an Asian elephant because I think they're a little bit smaller. But anyway, yeah. I, I just thought it was really interesting. And, and with that, with that much weight, and this is kind of what impresses me. I'm always get geeked out by just like the engineering of yeah. these buildings and how they... And I feel how, like in another life you were an engineer. Yeah, I think so. I think in this life I am pretend to be an engineer. I'm an armchair imagineer and, <laughs> and an engineer. But because Florida, you know, everything that they built Disney on is swampland and Florida is prone to sinkholes, their ground is not really solid. So you have to drive pylons very deep into the ground and so they actually had to run pylons 160 feet deep in the ground and they have to do that again in order to hit enough uh, bedrock and hard rock so that this thing wouldn't sink into the florida swamp because otherwise 
you'd have a 16 million pound ball just slowly sinking and that would not be uh, a very good ride experience talk about a disaster movie like wouldn't that be an image but just like the the swamp just falling swallowing up the uh spaceship earth yeah i think i've heard uh and this is on the the disney dish podcast um with len testa and jim hill but i think i've heard them talk about over i think by like where like horizons uh used to be or over kind of by like test track there's a small pond over there in epcot and that ponds are never built on that because I think that's a sinkhole. And so like they physically, as they tried to dig it, it just kept sinking. And so they just filled it with water and said, forget about it. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing one that Disney builds all this stuff, but the fact that they built it in Florida where you have to deal with just random sinkholes at any time uh, is, is pretty amazing. Yeah, so the ball itself is 180 feet tall, which is 18 stories high. And then also it starts 15 feet above the ground. So you do have those pylons, those things that are kind of, uh, you know, supporting the ball up above the earth. So that's 15 feet up. So that's why, you know, nobody can jump and touch it because, I mean, a 15 foot vertical would be pretty insane. That would be impressive. Yes. And it's 165 feet in diameter as well. Oh, and one other fun fact. It could fully be submerged in the tank at the seas. That's amazing. That's, yeah. that's I didn't realize the seas had that big a tank. I, feel, I kind of am imagining now that, okay, like if you sub- put it in the ocean, like a blue whale could play with it or something. My, my, my mind is on, in the zoo today. That's true. Yeah. How many blue whales is this one? How many blue whales can fit inside of it? Now, I don't have my phone here. I look it up. It weighs 3,200 small elephants and it can be, you can fit a family of blue whales inside of it. I feel like one blue whale, maybe. I don't know. know. Any zoologist who listens, you know, tell us how many blue whales it is. (laughs) The ride has been around, like we said, since 1982. It covers 30,000 years of human history and it is, it was conceived and it still is to an extent. So the, the script has changed somewhat uh, over the years, which we'll talk about. But it is, it is about kind of communication and language and humanity's you know, evolution of language and communication and what that means for uh, technology and just kind of how the Earth has moved. I mean, it's called Spaceship Earth that we are on this you know, spaceship planet earth you know just kind of traveling through the cosmos and how uh humanity has changed over these you know past thirty thousand years and that script was originally conceived by the disney imagineers and brie bradbury who is a famed sci-fi author that'll probably a lot of you guys had to read in high school which uh he wrote fahrenheit 451 and one of my favorite a sound of thunder which is a short story story and if you've never read it it is incredible. Um, so definitely check that out. It's great nighttime reading, although not really nighttime reading. It's kind of creepy, like Ray Bradbury likes to write, but he actually helped to do that. So, and also another cool thing about that is that to ensure historical accuracy, they consulted the Smithsonian to make sure that what they were saying was factual. And with the ride being all about uh, communication throughout history, ideal sponsor is a communications company. So the original sponsor of the ride um, was Bell Systems, which was a uh, major conglomerate in the communication space. Um, So they were the original sponsors of the ride when it opened uh, in 82. And the narrator for uh, the first four years from 82 to 86 
I actually uh, read in different places uh, two different names. So a lot of people believe that it was Vic Perrin, who was actually the control voice on Outer Limits. Uh, but according to Disney Imagineer Marty Sklar, it was actually Lawrence Dobkin. Yeah, and according to Walt Disney World magazine, it's Lawrence Dobkin as well. Uh, there's a lot of sites and, and places that reference um, Vic as well. And I think a lot of people believed it was him. It was common knowledge for, for quite some time uh, that it was him until I think Marty um, kind of said no, that it wasn't. But for the first four years, Lawrence Dobkin was the narrator. So I think most people who are listening to this care enough about this ride to, you know, know what it's about. But just in case there's anybody who snuck in here, you know, Spaceship Earth, it moves through different eras and it starts from ancient Egypt and it moves into Greece. Or actually, it starts in the caveman era and then moves into ancient Egypt, then Greece, Rome, the Dark Ages, the Renaissance, the Industrial Revolution. And then eventually we do get to the development of modern computers. So you have representations of Steve Wozniak and, and kind of your Silicon Valley uh, people who started to develop computers in in this. And the cool thing about those people who are all throughout the ride is actually the molds that they used were the molds from the Hall of Presidents. So if you look at the molds, like they actually have a lot of the care, like the people who are in there are your presidents, except for they've fitted them with different skin or different hair, mustaches and things like that. But uh, they do have likenesses to those those presidents because they are them. And, and what you kind of described covers the current version of the ride with the end scenes of the development of the computer and kind of the, you know, the modern mainframe and the personal computer. But those last few scenes, and that's really where most of the changes have taken place throughout the years. The essentially the middle part of the ride has stayed pretty much the same since the beginning. It's kind of been the initial scenes uh, and kind of towards those scenes at the end that have changed the most throughout time. Uh, and actually, originally, when the Imagineers first conceived the ride, the original climax of the ride was supposed to be a moon base uh, with a large projected image of Earth out there, and they had a space station. The moon base didn't work, so the Imagineers kind of scrapped that. They did have a space station up there. And a satellite as well. And a satellite. Like just kind of hanging from the ceiling. Right, and they had uh, astronauts uh, out there, and, and when they actually renovated the ride in the 90s, they took those astronauts out. They actually made their way over to Space Mountain. So those are the astronauts you can see uh, <laughs> over on Space Mountain over there. But but so that ending uh, in the beginning is kind of what changed. Originally, when you went through the tunnel, it actually had a fog machine uh, at the beginning, um, but that only lasted for uh, a few years uh, until they started doing the updates uh, in the late 80s. The other part that I think was so fascinating about this is, you know, they wanted that top part to be a moon base. So whenever they actually did it, they they started to build that set. They have a lot of the pieces there. So they actually abandoned that idea and they covered the piece of the moon set in these dark shrouds and then they lowered the lighting and kind of left the climax as the planetarium itself so then it kind of made me think you know whenever you do go into spaceship earth and you're at the very top there is that like dark area behind you that's i guess all covering up what they originally thought they were going to do and if they ever did do happen to do the renovation that they were supposed to start in 2020, you got to think that they're going to actually maybe try to do what they originally thought they were going to do because technology is advanced. I think that maybe they could make it work. Uh, they could do something different because that's actually kind of a lot of wasted space there. So it would be cool if you could have more of a 360 view above you. 
when they talked about you know the updates that were supposed to happen that's kind of now been on hold indefinitely you know adding more projection mapping into the ride and i do think that that final scene um, that view of Earth, definitely to your point, there is a lot of wasted space there that they could do a lot more mm-hmm. uh, in that space with projection mapping and, and modern set pieces and everything. So if they do eventually kind of renovate it or plus the attraction, it'll be interesting to see uh, what they do there. One thing I think is really interesting about when they decide to update this ride is every time it changed sponsors, that's whenever they've they made some sort of you know, renovation to the ride. So in 1980, so I got that money, you get that sponsor <laughs> well, money yeah, and true. you make the changes. That's true. So in 1986, you know, this is just four years after it had opened, the Bell company was broken up by the United States government because they declared it a monopoly. And so one of those companies that came out of Bell was AT&T. And so they asked for some changes to be made. So one of the changes that they asked for was for Walter Cronkite to be made the narrator. Yeah, Walter Cronkite was a famous news anchor. and He's actually still a part of the ride in the scene where the family is watching the moon landing. That's actually Walter no. Cronkite on TV. No. Yes. No. That, that's his announcement of the moon landing. So This is ridiculous. You, you are coming in here with these hot facts that are blowing my mind. Okay. I, I'm going to lay here for the rest of this, and I'm just going to let you go. All right. <laughs> Good. No, I, I want your no, I no. want your input. I want your input on something. No, no, because I want to talk about 1994. All right, but then also in 1986, we got the first edition of a computer. So they had a they added a child with a computer uh, in his room at that point as well. So we started to kind of get some more modern technologies creeping into the attraction. Now that version of the attraction though only lasted uh, eight years. So in 1994. AT&T renewed their sponsorship. So again, more sponsorship money. Um, and so <laughs> so they, they renew the ride. We get a new narrator. And the second half of the ride is is more updated. So we're getting you know, a lot of the tech that was popular in the 80s is now replaced. We get a larger projection of Earth. Um, this is when we, we start to lose that space station and animatronics. Also, at the end, this is where they kind of combined a few scenes and just kind of had people be on the internet. Because you got to figure 94, this was probably like the start of AOL and the internet. Maybe a- I don't yeah. even know if AOL was that big in 94. And so people really didn't know what the internet was. So I feel like Disney just said... You've got mail. We'll just we'll just have kids sitting on the internet and just people will get it. Like that was the extent of the technology <laughs> is we'll just throw some people on the internet here as well. Well, the most exciting change, you mentioned that new narrator and I really thank you so much for not saying who it was because it was none other than my man, my favorite, Jeremy Irons, Scar himself. So he was the narrator actually from 19, uh, 1994 to 2007. And I am so sad that they changed that because it is magical, people. You need to go onto YouTube right now and listen to him narrate the ride. Yeah, he does have a very smooth voice. And uh, I was I was like, expecting it more to sound like, like Scar. Milk. I was expecting it to sound more like Scar, but it's not. It's not like his Scar voice. It's, no, it's his Scar voice. No, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't sound... He was... I think what it was is he was like smoother. He wasn't trying to be like a villain. He wasn't trying it. to be ominous. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So it, it's a very uh, yeah smooth, pleasant voice. Um, I think he did do a great job uh, narrating it. And he was the longest narrator to that point because you had four years and eight years. And then he lasted 13 years. You know, the other kind of couple of things that struck me watching the ride through 
is, again, how the scenes don't change that much throughout the ride, but yet how they change the narration kind of changes your viewpoint of the ride. And so it was very much more about like language and connection when Jeremy Irons was the narrator. So like in the Egyptian scene where they're creating papyrus, he mentions that now they could have proclamations go across the world. And so it was more about how the written word could spread and how, you know, the Phoenicians help language spread. And it wasn't about, you know, now it's about them creating a modern alphabet to unite all these languages. It was more about how, you know, language could spread. And in the Greek scene, that was more about theater becoming popular because of language. And it's much more, it was much more, yeah, about just language and communication. Whereas I feel like now it's more about like our stories and our experiences. The one thing I did miss about the Jeremy Irons script was the uh, thank a Phoenician line. It isn't in there. So yeah, that, that part I did miss, but I did, it was just overall, I, I, my enjoyment of it was so high just because, you know, he's the best. And the other thing uh, I noticed when watching the ride through is I'm going to, you know, dub him the creepy boy. And I think anybody who has (laughs) written Spaceship Earth knows immediately who I'm talking about. But if you don't know who I'm talking about, uh, towards the end in the Industrial Revolution scene where they have the newspapers printing, there is a young boy selling papers, yelling uh, extra, extra, read all about it. But he is facing a wall. He is not facing you at all. He is tucked in a corner facing a wall. You do not see his face. And there's something extremely off-putting and creepy about that. And I've always wondered, why is he like that? Please tell me you found the answer. Well, in the in the Jeremy Irons ride-through, he has a face and he is facing you. He is up towards the track much more. He's at the front of the building and he's facing you and he has a face. And so he's less creepy that way. And from what I read, and I'm not sure if this is 100% true, but from what I read is his face was damaged And instead of Disney replacing it, they just spun him around and had him face a wall. So he has no face now from what I can tell, but he was not always like that. He had a face uh, and he looked at you. I want to believe that's true because why else would you put an animatronic back in a corner facing away from you? Because he's the the only one not looking at you. So I'm going to believe that he doesn't have a face anymore. Uh, But yeah, the creepy boy, he was less creepy back in the day. Wow. That that's mind blowing. So somebody who has some 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 Disney street cred needs to confirm or deny that that boy has a face or does not have a face. I need to know the answer to this question. But either it's way, it's going to keep me up at night. Either way, he was in a different position and he used to face you and he did have a face at one point, whether he does now or not. I don't know. But still, that's yeah. the creepiest part of the whole ride. It's it just is. this kid back in the corner yelling at a wall selling newspapers. I will say for somebody a little bit more detail-oriented, I don't think I would have noticed that had you not pointed out to me, but then, yeah, you're right. It kind of looks like he's yelling down the street is kind of the way I always sort of... Well, I mean, he's my favorite character, too. I mean, I gotta say, I love seeing Creepy Boy. I will say, if Disney ever updates this ride and they fix him, I will probably be sad. I'll probably (laughs) be mad about that, that they got rid of Creepy Paper Boy because he's like my favorite character. I love going through that. I get the chills. Like there's something off-putting, but it's that, you know, like a horror movie, like you watch it, like you don't want to watch, but you want to watch. It's like that. What if you get like paused right at that scene? Like somebody, you know, with handicaps. That might be too much. That might be too much. 
because we got we got pa- we got paused in the the Michelangelo scene. I love that scene too. That's probably my second favorite scene. Right. So I, I but I can I'm just imagining now just hearing him over and over again extra, and then trying extra. to trying to lean then, around then, to see if oh, he has man. a face. And then, and then what if he slowed down and just started going extra extra? Listen, I'm jumping out of the ride. I don't care yeah, if it gets be, me thrown out of the park. I have to. Get, I would have to leave at that point. Sorry. <laughs> we just slowly malfunction. But nope. Too much. But, but so that so that <laughs> version of the ride lasted 13 years, and now in that span, while the attraction didn't change, <laughs> the outside of the attraction changed a bit. And you told me about this, and the your description did not warn me for what it looked like. So to commemorate the Walt Disney World Millennium Celebration, they made a 25-story Mickey arm with magic wand. And the number 2000 on the top. And oh my gosh. I mean, this is up there along with whenever they cakeified the uh, the castle. I mean, it is awful. <laughs> and people hated it. And then, you know, what's funny is the, the next year, even though people apparently just like absolutely hated it, they decided, oh yeah, we're going to, we're going to change this. We're going to fix this. So what, what did they do? They took down the 2000 and just wrote Epcot all in lowercase, except for the E. It was all lowercase letters, too, which is weird because usually you see Epcot represented in capital letters. But yeah, Epcot took to the place of the 2000. They thought it was just going to stay forever. Oh. But it, I mean, it lasted, though, a few years. It lasted until 2007. Uh, and that's <laughs> when the wand was taken away. And this is when the Spaceship Earth got its newest sponsor which was Siemens. So they took over in 2007. So obviously we're going to get an update. They said, (laughs) get rid of that wand, make some changes. Uh, We got Dame Judi Dench giving the narration, which I think she does a terrific job as well. I think if you're going to go from Jeremy Irons, I think having Dame Judi Dench is a very solid replacement there. She does, but you know, and, and this is where we get this is where we get the current version of the attraction. So it's been unchanged for the past 14 years. So this is now the longest version of the attraction that we have. And this is where we get some changes at the end where the mainframe computer, we get the development of the personal computer, which again, that's maybe Steve Jobs, maybe Steve Wozniak at the end. It's I don't know that's really said, uh, but that's that's kind of the idea there. We also, the, the, the Greek scene changes from being Greek theater to being more of a classroom. And again, the story, it's still about communication. It's still basically the same scenes, but I feel like it changes more on how we've used communication and technology to grow the human experience. So it's more about how we had cave paintings and then we had uh, papyrus that we could write things down and share knowledge. And then, you know, the Romans built roads to spread that knowledge and Greek with mathematics. And then it became, well, now we have computing, we have the language of computers. And so there's more knowledge and expansion. So it, it's not just about now communication. It's about how we use that communication to grow our knowledge uh, and kind of expand and improve our experience that that we have today. And the Siemens sponsorship ended in 2017. So now it is actually an unsponsored ride. So it's open for the Enchanted Ears podcast to come in, that. sweep in, and we can talk about what a what a little booth in it of uh, podcasting. 2022 <laughs> Spaceship Earth brought to you by Enchanted Ears. You're right. We'll we'll update the end. We'll talk about now kind of cryptocurrency and podcasting and the modern internet movement at the end i'm gonna get as part of the deal behind the scenes i'm gonna go see if creepy boy has a face 
Yeah. I will I will say he has to stay there though. You cannot fix him, but I want to know if he has a face as, as all part of this sponsorship deal. But I I think we could scrounge around. I mean, what's a sponsorship gotta cost? Like a hundred million dollars? I think we could come up with that. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Now we did we have mentioned a few times that there were was supposed to be a current update that has been put on hold indefinitely. Uh, my guess is they are going to do this sometime soon. They're just waiting to kind of come up with the money for it. Um, you know, it does seem like the focus has kind of shifted a little bit away from the parks, but I'm sure that pretty soon they're they're probably going to have to pick this up again. And what was supposed to be included in this, you know, and I found this in an article that was appeared in Walt Disney World magazine and it was written by Megan LaBeouf, but there was supposed to be a new musical score, new show scenes, updates to the post-ride experience, and a new view of the world showcase upon exiting the attraction, which this to me was like, what on earth? Like, what are they talking about here? Like, are they going to put in a glass back or something? That's, I mean, a, that's my thought is that they would take the the post ride building uh, and, and add glass to it so that you could see. Because basically the whole middle kind of behind that, the fountain that was there, that's all torn down. So I mean, you basically have a clear view now. Now we can't see it because there's so many construction walls, but you basically have a clear <laughs> view from Spaceship Earth to World Showcase. And so I think if you built uh, kind of an all glass building there, you could have a very uh, unique view coming off of this attraction uh, to Sea World Showcase. I'm with you. I think eventually... They're going to have to make updates. I mean, if you look at the history of it, you know, every 13 years or so, six to 13 years, they're doing some sort of update. I think they're waiting either to kind of restart some stuff or to get a new sponsor to pay for it, really. Right. And I mean, this ride, if you think about it, it is kind of speaking. It's interesting that there's a tie to the Hall of Presidents because it is kind of a needy ride like the Hall of Presidents where, you know, that has to go down like every four to eight years because there's going to be a new president. Well, technology changes and things change. So, you know, in in 10 years from now, there might be holograms in every home and they're going to have to update it again to put that in there. So, you know, it is something as as we grow and we develop that they're going to always have to change that end piece. But again, you know, Walt always said that his parks are never finished. Everything, things are going to change. But, you know, speaking of Walt and plans and things changing, there have been some plans that have completely failed. I think maybe my favorite one is that Disneyland actually almost got one. Yeah. And this is actually part of their Westcott proposed expansion and we could do a whole other episode on this we'll have to do this sometime but this was before disney california adventure the planned second gate over at disneyland it was called westcott and the idea was that they would have a version of spaceship earth but it was going to be gold so they're going to have a giant gold sphere in the middle of this park and i believe it was going to be like 300 feet like it was going to be much larger then Epcot Spaceship Earth as well. Um, and this was kind of the idea in the 90s, um, but obviously got canceled due to financial issues and everything. Yeah, and so this is where DCA is currently. But I, I do have to say, I don't know if a gold sphere... I feel like gold might look a little gaudy. I don't know. The concept art was yeah, pretty amazing. It did look cool. I mean, if you think about Spaceship Earth now, the lighting they do on it, it looks Im- impressive at night with all of the different colored lights and a lighting package on it so you could imagine something golden that just kind of shimmered in the california sunshine the, the concept art looks pretty incredible i'm with you you would run a risk that you could overdo it on the gold but i think at least the way they and the concept art is showing it, i think it would have been pretty iconic to have that there it definitely would have dwarfed uh sleeping beauty castle though because to have 
you know, a 80 foot castle versus a few hundred foot gold <laughs> ball. Uh, that definitely would have taken a lot of attention. That's, that's now like another visual. I'm having like, I don't even like disaster movies that much, but now I'm imagining the ball coming off and just smushing all of Sleeping Beauty Castle. It's like Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just like a that. giant boulder. Exactly. Yeah, I think that that ball would be better if it was painted like an iridescent so that because in that color, California sunlight, it would the facets would catch and t- change colors. I think it would look really, really cool. Yeah, so, you know, another thing that they that was a failed plan was Project Gemini. So they thought that they might actually gut the existing spaceship earth and put a roller coaster called time racers inside which it's pretty obvious why that failed because you basically you already have space mountain so i mean that's kind of a space themed roller coaster ride so do you really need a second one i don't really i have to imagine that would have been incredibly hard to support because Mm -hmm. a roller coaster is supported into the ground so you would have to support it in a sphere. So the sphere would have to support a roller coaster, which is then supported by the ground. So I'd have to imagine one, it would either not have been able to be a very uh, large or, you know, intense roller coaster or two, that that was some sort of insane engineering feat. You know, somebody threw around, Hey, this will be a cool idea. And then they thought about it and went, how in the world would this ever work? Because I don't see how you could have that sphere hold like a, a roller coaster riding around in that. I mean, it's, an Omni mover is one thing that's just mm-hmm. kind of on a track and some show scenes, but to have a roller coaster that's going at high speeds, that's vibrating all the time. Um, I think, I think you, you may gives, run, I say gives you imagery of, of the ball just flying off. Rolling away. Exactly. <laughs> you, you definitely may get that. So, all right. But I think that that wraps up the history of spaceship earth. And I, I really enjoyed researching this episode because I do enjoy spaceship earth. I think it's a great ride and it was interesting to see, how it has changed throughout time, but also, you know, how it's stay the same again, how you can repurpose the same show scenes with some minor tweaks for four different narrations and kind of give four slightly different themes to the same idea. Uh, and, and I do look forward to the point in time when they eventually do update it again and kind of bring us even more into the future and more current technology and see how they can, you know, again, take this story uh, and just kind of tweak it a little bit more. So I enjoyed researching this because it it always fascinates me when I think, oh, you know, how interesting can it be? And then I actually open it up and crack open my computer and start the, the actual research and see just how much went into it. You know, sometimes we see that finished product and I'm not very much of a planner. So I don't really think that deeply into it. And then I learn all of the layers of things that happen, the plans that are failed and and the iterations that it's gone through. And, and that to me is so fascinating. And, you know, it gets me even more invigorated and excited to go to the parks because, you know, you think about it and you go and you read about it, you learn about it. And then when you go back, then you look forward to seeing, oh my gosh, that's how tall that is. Like, you know, these facts and it makes it that much more special to you when you're actually there. Yeah, I don't need much reason to go to the parks, but <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, it does have me excited to go back and uh, say hi to Creepy Boy again. So uh, head over to our Facebook page, Enchanted Ears, and let us know which version of Spaceship Earth you prefer. So who's your favorite narrator that they've had throughout time? I know, Angela, I know who yours is. Um, but I'd like to know what our listeners is as well. I want to thank everybody again for listening this week. If you've not done so, please leave us a rating or a review. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. It really helps, and we really appreciate it. Thanks for lending us your ears. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you here next Monday. Bye-bye.